You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. episode is supported by Wireframe, a podcast all about creativity and design. It's a show made for creative professionals. Think graphic designers, illustrators, typographers, artists, activists. It's for the design curious and anyone who really appreciates the way creativity impacts the world around us, which I know is you. One of my favorite recent episodes from Wireframe is their Black Lives Matter episode. Have you guys ever thought about what it's like to design a logo that's made to be used all over the world and for artists to put their own spin on? Isn't it so cool to think about the way our art can impact the world and the way other people will interact with it? And that's something I love about Wireframe is they invite us into those conversations and those ideas. Uh, the host, Koi Vin, is the principal designer at Adobe and he is such a great host and I love the interviews that he does and the topics that they choose. There is a current episode about Burger King's new logo and the role of nostalgia in design and then there's also a really fun one about Comic Sans, why people love to hate it and they just talk a lot about the personality in typeface and how that matters to us as creative people and how it makes it people interact with our art. So this is such a fun podcast for you if you you are curious and want to dig deeper into the ideas and the intention behind the design and how our art is received in the world. So you can listen by searching for Wireframe in your podcast app, just like the one you're using now. And of course, I will have a link in the show notes. Thank you so much to Wireframe for their support for this episode, and I hope you will go check it out. Welcome to another episode of How She Creates. Today, I have my very good friends on who are going to be talking about an issue that I hear a lot in the creative community is people constantly write in about their biggest creative struggle is that their partner doesn't understand their thing. They don't get why they like being creative. They don't support it, um, you know, and they don't understand why they want this hobby. And so... I wanted to bring on one of my favorite couples to share about supporting our spouses in one another's passions and to hear their story because it's awesome and they are full of adventure. And so thank you so much, Suzanne and Carlos, for being on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We are thrilled. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Can you give us just like a quick intro to who you guys are, where you are, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, so I, I can speak to where we are. Right now, we are on the coast of North Carolina. We have been full-time RVing for a little over six months, uh, sold our home in Colorado when our youngest went to college. We have four kids and an incredible daughter-in-law that we are grateful, and they are all over the country, everywhere from Tennessee to Mississippi to Kansas. And so we thought, yeah, let's try this RV thing, and we've been digging it. Uh, we are life design coaches is primarily what we do and just really love helping people create a, a life that they love to live every day. Well said. Thanks. 
I, okay, I love that. Tell us more about life design because that's something that I love so much and that I know people who listen to my podcast are really into this idea of creating the life that they love and want to live. Yeah, I think so many times, Lauren, we just let life design us. And and Suzanne and I were talking about this on our walk last night where you just fall into, you graduate from school and you have to get the job and then you get the job and then you find your, you know, maybe you find someone and you get married and then you got to have the kids. And, and what I'm finding is more and more, especially people in our generation, we're both 50, is you, you ask them, how's life going? And they're like, well, it's okay. And just okay means it's not really great. And when you realize that we only have one life, we only have 168 hours each week, we should be living a life that we actually love. And I, I had a buddy text me the other day. He said, man, you're living your best life. And I told, I texted him back. I said, you're not wrong. And what we've done is we've aligned around what we want as individuals and what we want as a couple. Then we made agreements on what are we willing to do to get that alignment. And then we started to put a plan in place. The plan included the RV because we wanted to see the country in a way that we could also literally stay in places for a length of time. We had done it enough to know we would enjoy it. And so when we help people design their lives, it's really helping them first understand who were you created to be? And then what is your purpose based on that identity? Align that with your gifts and talents and anything is possible. And that's what we help people do. I love that so much. And so I love that you talked about, you know, creating a plan and getting together on the same page, but that takes a lot of work. So can we back up a little bit and can you kind of tell your before story of when you were seeing an (laughs) imbalance in your relationship and a little bit of what that looked like and kind of how you came to that point of realizing we're kind of on separate paths, not supporting one another? Right. And I, I mean, it does really go back to when you first get married. And I, I, I believe at the time that we had talked about all the important things, money and children and, fi- you know, all that stuff that that's, you check the little boxes before you marry someone. And, you know, there were a few things here and there where we had seen with, you know, our parents and I'm like, is that your expectation? Cause that is not happening sort of thing. But we really didn't dig into really significant things about who we were as individuals. And then we didn't have the time to do it because three months into being married, I got pregnant unexpectedly. And next thing I knew, I'm a stay-at-home mom with this baby in a place I was not familiar with, with no car, no job, no... And and so I, I was having sort of my own struggle with all of that. And he's struggling to just make ends meet. I mean, we lived below the poverty line at the time. So he had this massive weight of like, I'm supposed to provide for my family. And I'm dealing with this weight of, oh, dear God, I have a child, a human being that's dependent on me. And so, and I think we, we unbeknownst to us. And then because eight months later, I got pregnant again. So we had two children in about less than 18 months. Um, And I think we just, we really didn't communicate very effectively. I know I can speak for my side. I felt selfish wanting to do things that I was interested in, especially if it cost any money. I mean, down to just, I was so, um, I had this perfect, easy first child. So I was 
bored a lot. Like he'd be taking a nap or he'd just be content doing whatever. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm like cross stitching Lauren and I'm teaching myself how to crochet. Like I just, I knew that I needed this something that had a beginning, a middle and an end to it rather than the life that I was living where it was this constant turnover of the same things. Like nothing was ever finished. It was just completely cyclical all the time. And I think over the years, as I was doing those things, again, we weren't communicating. He, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, kind of saw those things as me not wanting to spend time with him. And so he struggled to support because he was taking things personally and I was taking things personally. And so ultimately, I think that's what it's about. It's it's about, A, communicating with somebody else and knowing your own self well enough to know what you need and how it will impact a relationship and negotiating those things. Because, and then over the years, a lot of resentment was building up that I was not personally aware of in my own soul, um, where he was active doing things. And there were years he golfed and trained for triathlons. And I was like, oh, so your stuff, you can be involved in stuff that has nothing to do with me but you don't like it when I want to do stuff. And so, and again, we just allowed all this, this stuff to just pile up and pile up and pile up. And I tend to be a, um, just let it go, sweep it under the rug, totally chill about it. And I, I honestly didn't realize how there were so many little bricks of resentment that I had been building up until it just kind of all exploded and we went through a really hard time in our marriage. We separated for a long time. We knew we were getting to the end of raising our kids and we would be empty nesters. And we were like, do we want to be married to each other? Yeah. Um, and what does that look like if we do want to carry on with this? Like we really did come to a point where it's either like we're going to divorce and end this thing or we are going to... Um, remarry and, and do it better. That's it in a very big nutshell. Do you, would you, would you, I would agree. I would agree with everything. I, the only thing I would add is I think as, and I see this a lot for men is the, uh, tying our identity to our profession. Mm. And I did that in spades. Uh, I actually did it twice. Um, second time, just cause I'm, I'm pretty slow sometimes to learn things, <laughs> but I did it when I started my own business. And in 2005, when I started my own business, I actually started it so I could be home more. Cause at that point I was traveling all over the world and the kids were so young and I was literally missing out on months of my kid's childhood mm-hmm. and our relationship. And so the first two, three years of that business was great. I was home all the time. I was picking my son up from preschool. I was mm-hmm. driving into preschool. And then we started to grow. And with that growth, my ego grew because then I was somebody. And I think our professions are great places to apply our identity and purpose. They're horrible places to find it. Ooh, I like that. I know. Very well said. <laughs> so what was kind of your turning point and when and how did you work through this difference of opinion? Yeah. I mean, the turning point, Lauren, was when it all just crashed down around me. I, I, uh, 
I made some horrible professional and also personal choices that impacted our marriage greatly. And the, the moment where it all just came crashing down, the facade I had worked so hard to build as this great, successful, hotshot professional, I, I, I was a shell of my true self. And when that all crashes down around you and you're exposed, you have a choice to make. Either I'm going to just go live in that persona that is false, or I'm going to do the hard work and get back to who God created me to be. And so that was the, I would say that was the beginning of the turning point. The turning point was more like a huge roundabout that I had to go through (laughs) versus a direct pivot. I think the big turning point though, was the mindset of in my own self saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be somebody that I'm not. And when I look back at that person that I chose to become, I don't even like him. And so it was that mindset to say, I'm going to change this. I don't know how I'm going to change this, but I'm going to take it one day at a time, one step at a time. And it was a a therapist who said to me, if you're doing all this in hopes of winning Suzanne and your kids back, I can't help you because we'll be back here in five years. If you want to do it for you so you get healthy, then let's get to work. And I'm at that point, I wanted to strangle him when he said that. But I'm so glad he did because I did. And it sounds selfish if you're in that spot, but I did it for me because I didn't want to be that person anymore. I wanted to be free of all of the, you know, veneer that I had built around me and just get back to who I was created to be at my truest form. And since that time, it's been a journey on constantly pursuing my healthiest self each and every day across what I talk about is mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and relational. And so, you know, it's, as I said, it was a slow turn. I don't think it was a direct pivot, but when your life crashes down around you, you're forced with those hard hard decisions. And one of the reasons we do what we do is to help people avoid that crash moment and start to make some of those changes before that happens. And I like that you guys both touched on this separately is that you both had to evaluate yourselves and take care of yourselves first, you know, and figure out what you needed, what you wanted before you guys could come together and repair that relationship and support one another. Did you guys go to therapy together, separate? What was kind of your journey through figuring out the support that you needed? We did both, but at the beginning, we had a couples therapist basically fire us. Like, I can't deal with the two of you until you go deal with yourselves first. And about six or seven, eight months before kind of things fell apart for him, I was already done. Like, it was like he talked about he didn't like himself. I didn't like him. I would go to him and be like, I don't know who you are anymore, but this person... I don't like him. Like, and I don't know what's going on with you, what you're putting out there. This flashy, whatever good guy persona is not what we live with at home. He was angry and just not, he wasn't himself. And that was so frustrating for me to watch this person that I loved so deeply and knew who I think I knew who he was better at his core than he did. 
and just he was just lost. And so I had gone, started going to individual therapy myself to just sort of take my life back. I knew, I knew that I had tied my identity and self-worth. Like he talked about doing it to a job. I had tied it to him. And so then when someone is um, not being a good partner to you, then that affects how you feel about yourself. And so I started feeling, thinking that who I was, was who he was telling me I was, which at that time in from an unhealthy person was not good things. And so, and, and just being so aware of like knowing that it wasn't true, that that's not who I was and, um, what I needed to do to move forward with my life, whether or not he was along for the ride. And so that was very, my first act of this independence where I had been completely, and I hate this word so much, but I have to own that I was codependent on him. And that was not who I am and not the kind of relationship that I wanted moving forward. And so I had to do some really hard work just on myself, um, not knowing where it would end up or who I'd end up with. And so then we did do, we've just, we've done a lot of work individually and done a lot of work together. And we continue to do that. Like we just, we will never get to a place where we're like, Hey, we're good. Everything's great. I will never do that again because people change and evolve and grow. And we want to do that together and support each other in that. And so that is going to require us to be uh, continuing to communicate and talk about everything, which is really what we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of listeners will resonate a ton with your story and different parts of it. And, you know, especially new moms looking for creative outlets and trying to figure out who they are um, and trying to communicate their needs with um, their partners and so now, you know, fast forward five, 10 years, you guys are living in a 20 foot space together. So things are going well. <laughs> um, how, how do you guys, how did you guys come to the point where you were sharing passions and sharing this adventure lifestyle and getting on the same page and figuring out things you wanted to do together? Yeah, it was really an exercise of saying it from an alignment perspective. First of all, as we mentioned, we had to align with ourselves. What do we want out of life? And and when I when I coach people, I talk about the things we value. And I'm not talking about your house or your car or stupid stuff like that. I'm talking about for me, it's freedom and independence. It's creativity. My mind goes a million miles an hour. Um and so I think what we were able to do is just create the space for each other. There was a, a long time where Suzanne would say to me, I don't even know what I'm passionate about. And rather than coming at her, which I probably would have done in the past to say, oh, well, of course you do. You're passionate about these three or four things. <laughs> I allowed her to sit in that space without any pressure. And then if I saw something, like I would hear her on the, on the phone with someone and she'd get off and I would say, do you even understand the wisdom you possess? I'm listening to that phone call. And I was never like telling her what she should be doing, but I was trying to help her identify some of the things that what I saw, the talents and the gifts that she had and 
that then turn into discussions of how could that be used? Could it be used here? Could it be used there? Uh, we both fortunately loved the idea of travel. Now for me to be real honest, as a recovering control freak, uh, moving from a really nice home to a 35 foot fifth wheel freaked me out. And cause I like to have a plan and then I want to plan to back up that plan to make sure it gets done well. So on my part, I had to let go of a lot of things. I had to let go of trying to control everything. And part of the Part of that was saying, you know what? She loves and she's awesome at doing logistics and planning and all that stuff. So when people say to me, so when, where are you going to be like in September? I say, I don't know. And they're like, really? You don't have any idea? I'm like, no, Suzanne's doing all the planning. Part of it for me has been a conscious choice to say, I'm not going to take control of that because A, I'll probably screw it up. B, it's just not healthy for me. And see, she's so much better at it than I am. So why do I need to take control of that? So I think it was recognizing in my own self what I needed to let go of and what I still need to work on. And then giving each other the space to say, dream anything you want to dream. And we do. We talk about everything. And about 95% of it doesn't stick. But the 5% that does makes life a heck of a lot of fun. I love that you come at one another from a place of encouragement and calling out your strengths, because I know that's super hard in a marriage sometimes to focus on those things. So what advice would you give for people who are feeling like their partner isn't supportive or understanding of their passion or hobby or even their work? Where would you, where did you start and what would you tell them? Hmm. I think... Sometimes when there's a struggle with that, there, there were many times when we were working to a place of being healthy um, before that one of the things that he had struggled with was being defensive. And so I'd have to approach things with like, this has nothing to do with you. So I don't need your response to be like, you don't need to defend anything. You don't need to. I just need you to hear me and just listen don't, don't be thinking about how you're going to respond. I just want you to just listen to what I'm saying and, and listen to understand rather than listen to defend. And so that's kind of, at least from my side, where we started. And just for me, it was being um, honest about how I felt and not putting myself back into this former role that I had unfortunately adopted over years, um, thinking that somehow I was less important because I wasn't, you know, when I was a stay at home mom, I wasn't bringing home a paycheck. So that made me less important. And I just, I took on all these, um, lies on board. And so I've had to, it's been, a, it's been work for me. And he's been so great at just receiving that when I'm like, this is hard for me to talk about. And, um, I just need, I just need to say it. I just need to get it out and, and be able to say it. And, you know, as crazy as my feelings might be, I just need you to hear it. And in the, in the past, 
the thing that he said to me, which I threatened him. I'm like, you ever say this to me in any way, shape or form ever again? Like, oh my word, I'll just, I don't know what I'll do to you. But I would, when I would express feelings in the past, you know, maybe like um, when I applied to be a teacher and everything that I had was nervous about around that, his response would be, you shouldn't feel that way. And, or when I was struggling, you know, meeting people when we moved to a new place, you shouldn't feel that way. And I'm like, and it really, I didn't realize what an impact that had had for years on me because I believed it. I believed I shouldn't feel that way, but I do feel that way. And, and so it, I, I had this struggle all the time with, then it became like, what's wrong with me that I have these feelings and someone's, you know, the most important person to me is telling me you shouldn't feel that way. So we, yeah, that's really mainly it is being just brave and speaking up. And then on the other side of it, being a person that someone can say anything to, and it's okay. And it's not about me. It's not about him. We're just expressing what's going on in our own souls. And I, I would say to the partners who may be struggling with their partner's career choice or hobbies, ask yourself, why do you struggle with that? Why do you, why is, why does that seem like a threat to you? Now, if it's something where they're working, you know, 15 hours a day and exhausted and not there for you, then express that and say, Hey, it's not the career or the hobby that I have a problem with. It's the fact that I need time or I want time with you. It was something we talked about last night where, you know, when we had a house, you know, Suzanne would get up and then she'd see something needs to be done and <laughs> she'd start doing that. And and I had to learn to say, Hey babe, I I really need you here on the couch right now. Cause we started streaming this show and now you're, they're doing stuff and what she distracted what she what she was doing wasn't bad and so she didn't do anything wrong but i had to express my needs so mm -hmm. i think when we get into the well they don't support my career they don't do this or they don't understand my hobbies first of all it's not me to understand it's not for me to understand what charges suzanne up from a hobby or a career uh, uganda is a great example you know suzanne's been to uganda nine times i've been twice she loves the work over there. She connects with people over there. She's got great friendships, deep, deep relationships there. Um, I'm not as passionate about it as she is. It doesn't mean I'm not passionate, but to go over and do that and all those things, I don't have to know why she's so passionate about it. I just have to support it. And that's what we've chosen to do. And there's things that my brain will come up with and <laughs> say to her, hey, we should do this and this and this and this. And she doesn't sit there and go, well, why are you thinking that way? One of the things she says to me, which I love, is she's like, I love how your brain works. And she allows me that space to just, I, I call it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like Kramer. I come up with all these different ideas and she just allows that. So I think for the partners, really examine why you're threatened by that or why that puts you off and then express that need. Yeah. And to be clear with that, we talked about this last night. My instinct is like, I'm the more rational, logical, like he can come up with some crazy idea and my brain will immediately go to, okay, well, what about this? And I don't think that would work because of this. And 
all the logical stuff of why, you know, starting to pick it apart. And so I've had to, you know, we can't do this like, well, that's just who I am. That is who I am. But I need to not be that person in that moment. Now, if we got down the road with something and and it actually could be something that becomes a reality or something that I realize, oh, he really is passionate about this and maybe we need to look at this. I am a good person to sort of come in and start asking some questions and, and yeah. figuring things out. But it was, it was an act of love for me to just put my own self aside and just enjoy what was going on here because his brain is just magical. I, the things he comes up with are just, and I just, I learned to just enjoy it so much and just shut off that little logical part of me and just embrace it. And I've actually added to it. I added to she one has, of his crazy yeah. ideas this weekend and yeah. it was brilliant. And so I've allowed him it to sort of unlock a little bit more of the creativity and whimsical part of me. And so I think we've just become better partners and better team players and communicators. Yeah. And with, with this RV thing, I kept, he'd look at me and go, are, are we really doing this? I'm like, yes, we are. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like what's the worst that can happen? And there were even many times when, oh, when he left his, the, um, company that he talked about earlier, he pulled the plug. Like it was for many, many reasons, but he pulled plug and we didn't have, there was no severance. There was nothing to fall back on. And I just kept saying, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? So what, if we need to sell the house, we sell the house. I don't care. It's just a house. If it brings you home and it bring it, the, to me, the benefit outweighed whatever sacrifices we were going to have to make in order for that to happen. And so we have done hard, um, seemingly not smart choices. We have done the unsafe thing, but it's been to the betterment of us as individuals and the two of us together, for sure. I think that perfectly brings us into the un-American dream. Can you give us a quick kind of overview of what that is and tell us, you know, I mean, we know you're living in an RV, like what are the big changes that you have, you guys have made through COVID and as the world is kind of re-emerging, what do you hope people will consider um, the changes they should make or they could make in their life that kind of perfectly fall in line with the un-American dream. I feel like we're all giving a chance to reset. Yeah, we, we certainly are. And I, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I get a little weary of blaming the pandemic for everything when statistics have shown and research has shown for years, we've been way out of whack with our relationship to work and relationship to life and our uh, absolute obsession with being busy. So more to your question, uh, The Un-American Dream, I wrote that book in 2019. Hard to believe it's going to be two years in June since it published. And really, it's kind of an autobiography in many ways for me about the life that I live, pursuing professional success and becoming consumed with professional success and notoriety. I mentioned earlier my ego that got involved Um and in the growth of my agency over the 12 years that I, I co-founded it and then ran it, I literally just became, I would say the word was unhinged and trying to grow it and became absolutely consumed with um, the success we were having. Uh, I wrote another book in 2015. If you have insomnia, it's a great read. 
Um, it's on marketing, so go for it. Uh, but it, it, you know, hit an Amazon number one new release and everything from the outside was going great, but I was miserable. I was never home. Um, I, I already talked about the facade that I had built and I just knew I wasn't living my best life. So in 2016, as Suzanne said, um, I pulled the plug one morning, uh, called my partners, called Suzanne. I was in Boston and just said, I'm done. And the first question, Suzanne didn't ask this, but my partners were, <laughs> well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? I said, I have no idea, but I knew I needed to take my life back. And again, I had no big buyout, no big severance. We didn't have a big savings, uh, which often people ask. I, I just, a friend of mine termed it Operation Ripcord because that's what we did. And um, what was interesting to me is, in, in, so in 2017, I put a post on LinkedIn about why I was leaving uh, the agency. We were pretty well known in our space and the accolades were great. They were very kind, people responding, supportive. Uh, but what was more alarming to me was the phone calls and texts from colleagues saying, so can you walk me through how you did this? Because I'm miserable. And I started to realize like, wow, this just isn't me. And then I started to do some research and I realized that 50% of Americans say they're exhausted because of their work. 70% of people say they have they struggle to find work-life balance. 52% uh, are burnt out and the World Health Organization has classified burnout as a medical condition. This is not the American dream that Truslow Adams coined in 1931. And we have put our desire for material wealth, we have put our desire for rank, we have put our desire for prestige above all else, even our families. And I did that for years. And I had a good friend of mine, when I was sharing this with him, said, dude, you got to put this into a book. And I said, James, you're nuts. There's nobody. And he's like, no, you got to write this down. So I did. And then Suzanne also wrote a chapter in the book, which I think was the most poignant chapter. And, you know, we launched it in 2019. And since that point, we have been helping people realize the true American dream and not the un-American dream. I, yeah, I can't agree more. And we definitely have felt like we have lived the un-American dream for so long. I mean, we've never owned anything, you know, we don't even live in America most of the time. Um, so it's been really interesting for us to be back here and to be kind of experiencing these things again and, feeling these pressures, they just creep in without you even knowing, you know, I mean, it's been a pandemic, we've not gone anywhere. And yet somehow we have started to feel the pressure just by being here. I don't know what it is culturally, that it just seeps into us so much. Um, but I feel like in the pandemic, so many people have been able to reconnect with their hobbies and to find that time and space at home again. Um, and how, how would you encourage people to really evaluate that and make that a part of their lives as the world's opening up again and all of the schedule things are coming back again. I would say to learn to say no. You don't have to say yes to every opportunity. Now, I would encourage you to be open to every opportunity, but begin to ask yourself, what is the impact of a yes going to mean from a time commitment, from a mental commitment? Uh, I mentioned earlier that our kids are, 
you know, we scheduled our kids to the nines our, where our families are stressed. It's rare. If you hear of a family who traditionally has dinner together at a, at a dinner table, you're kind of called old fashioned. And so as the world opens up, there's going to be a huge opportunity. There's going to be a desire to get back to the way things were. And the reality is no can be a very powerful word to protect you, to protect your family, to protect your mental health, your, even your physical health and just continue on a road. And you don't have to explain to anybody else why you're saying no. You know, we were, when we were in Dallas, our middle son, I, I had requests for him to play travel baseball when he was seven, which is ridiculous. And we said no. And then the, the, the response was, well, I thought you wanted to make him the, get him to the next level. And my response was, what's that kid pitch, right? It's just bizarre. The kid ended up playing four years of college baseball, but we let him be a kid for as long as we could be. And I think what we need to do is really take stock of all of our commitments and be okay with saying, oh, I'm not going to participate in that. Let someone else do it. And I've been doing that this week professionally of what can I let go of? And yesterday I resigned from a board. It wasn't taking up a lot of time for me, but it was taking up too much time. And I feel like I had outlived my usefulness. So I let it go. And they were great. I'm great. I feel better for it. I know it was the right decision. Take an inventory and say, what are we not going to go back to? And what are we going to keep? And I would, the only thing I would add to that, that when I, talk to moms a lot is saying no to good things, you know, just because something's good or, you know, the, I'd say most of our opportunities out there, they're good things, but they're not, you've got to figure out what's the best thing for you and your family. And I've recently said no to a really great thing that I did love. It just wasn't working out the way that I had hoped or working with how I'm living my life now. So but that doesn't, it's not a, it's not a bad no. It's just outlived. I've outlived my usefulness with that. And so, and so sometimes the no's are hard and sometimes the no's are no's to good things, but I just try to see it as it, it opens up opportunity for something else. And I've pursued a couple of things that have not panned out. And I could look at that as a failure or rejection. And I choose not to because it just means that I'm not the right fit or the, the opportunity wasn't actually there that fits into how I'm living right now. That's not a rejection. It's just, it's not going to, it's not what's meant for me at this point in time, but it's not going to stop me from continuing to pursue opportunities. And I believe that the next right thing will come along when it's supposed to. Outliving your usefulness. I love that phrase. I think that so many people have seen that in their lives in the past year. And I'm really hoping that that they're going to be able to kind of maintain that commitment to that as as those commitments start getting pushed back on them. I love that, that mindset and idea of that. What have you guys been learning creatively lately? I, I think for me is that it's... When you slow down and really live in the present, 
you'll be amazed at what you see, what you hear, what you experience that gets your creative juices going. And when I talk about slowing down, I'm talking about not always having your, your nose in your phone. Maybe just taking a walk. Uh, one of the things I love to do, I run a lot, uh, love running outdoors. And when I run outdoors, I don't run with headphones because it allows me time to think. It allows me time to, to see. Uh, the other day when I was running, I like ran and by this tree and a cardinal came and just sat right on the branch. And I was like, that is the coolest thing. I love cardinals. And to just see that and see it so close. And, and I think if we just slow down, you, you give your brain the opportunity to cycle and to take everything in. And when you inhale all of that, oftentimes what you exhale is creativity and it may, and, and it can come in a variety of things. For me, it's speaking and writing. For others, it's music. For others, it's painting or drawing. Whatever that is, dance. I don't, I don't care what it is, but you're not, you're actually going to limit your creativity the more noise you subject yourself to. And so for me, what I've learned is to slow down and just take in the full experience of wherever you're at. And, and for me, it's been sort of unlocking whatever that creativity is supposed to look like in my life, because I feel like I've just kind of stuffed it away for so many years and I'll say, oh, I'm not good at that, or I'm not good at that, or I love that, but I'm not good at that. And so I have been working towards challenging myself to do things that I know, I know historically I'm not good at, but I'm interested and just changing my mindset about it instead of being like, uh, I'm not good at it. Okay. I have this opportunity that has been laid before me. And so I'm going to figure out a way to be good at it. And I'm going to research and I will ask questions and get help from people who are knowledgeable, but it's, I'm trying to eliminate a negative mindset of things that I have previously said, Oh, I love that, but I'm just not good at that. I'm not good at that. And just approaching it of, okay, maybe I'm, I might not be the best at it, but that doesn't mean that I can't try and I can't try new things and I can't venture out on something again, even though if I was previously unsuccessful at it and just being more bold with trying to just unearth what I believe is inside of all of us. I believe we are all creative beings and I, I've got some unearthing to do. That oh, That's so fun to hear because I just love the mentality of being curious and experimental and just open to trying new things and you know providing that space. And I know you guys have so much more space. Do you feel like that, that you have space for creativity and adventure and you know unexpected things now that you're in the RV? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I mean, we, when we, we were in Tennessee for three months near our, some of our kids and almost every weekend, if we weren't with them, we just, I mean, we did everything from spending an afternoon at Shiloh civil war battlefield. Cause I'm a total history nerd. And it was so interesting to driving down to Alabama to visit the childhood home of Helen Keller and just explore that. And each experience, you just learn something new. You take in something else you see something else and it's 
the, the fact that we've enabled to do that, and, and I'll be clear, you don't need to be in an RV to do that. There's anybody who's listening, just explore what is in your surroundings. And if you even have to drive an hour and a half to two hours to go explore something and do something and learn something new or take something else in, go do it and just pour yourself into it. Yeah, And it may not be what everybody wants, but you know what? We don't always get what we want. And you'd be surprised at how you may enjoy that experience if it's even if it's not on the top of your list. Yeah. And we've been totally open to trying things that the other person enjoys. I love paddle boarding. I love it. If that was the only thing I could ever do form of exercise for the rest of my life, it's what I do. He had zero interest in it whatsoever. But I said, you know what? But this is something that I'm doing and I enjoy. And I'd love to have you along for us to spend time together. He now owns a paddleboard. And it's still not your favorite thing on the planet, but you do enjoy it. And it's something you never would have done before on your own. You know, it's not something that you would have picked up and done. You did it simply to be supportive of me. And I will say our our my favorite exploration was the Jack Daniels distillery, especially (laughs) where, where you get to sample the whiskeys. Yeah. And I had no interest in that. And it was fascinating. And that's the thing too. just be open. I, you know, and going to the Helen Keller museum was not on his bucket list of things to do. It wasn't even on mine, but I thought, why not? Let's go. And so, and we, it was just a great, enjoyable Mm day. We, we take turns planning adventures so that we each get to say, you know, we get a whole day, you know, whatever we want to do. And the other person always has a great time, you know, it's, it's that openness. And even, you know, asking friends, Hey, will you take us somewhere today? Like you guys get to plan whatever you think is cool. And it's never something we would have chosen, but it's always so fun. And so I, I just love experiencing things that way. And, you know, I call that being like a hometown tourist of like, Googling what's in your area that you can do and just go do it. You don't have to go overseas to have an adventure. There's something weird and cool in your neighborhood that you can absolutely do. So I love that you guys are experiencing that. Right. I love that you pull other people in too, or like, Hey, take us somewhere. That's such a great idea. We're going to have to steal that one. I like that. And one of the things too, for anybody listening, say, Oh, there's, there's nothing in my hometown. We geocache. And for those of you who don't know what geocaching is, it's like treasure hunts all over the world where people leave little canisters and little, you know, trinkets and things. You can download an app. You can do it totally for free. We started about 11 years ago. A good friend of ours is actually one of the top five geocachers in the world, but it's fun. And what we've done is like, even here, we'll just, we were driving back from the beach the other day and I'm like, Hey, we haven't had North Carolina geocache. So we flipped open the app, we pulled off, we found one, we wrote our little name down. And honestly, the fun things we've been able to do and see geocaching, it's something you can literally do in your neighborhood. So if you want to start small, do that. And trust me, your kids will love it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I told you guys that I took a geocaching class in college. My roommate thought it would be hilarious to sign me up for it because we didn't know what it was. And she was like, I signed you up for this class. And our grade was how many points we got because the the geocaches are all worth points, you know, so like, and I think five might be the highest, right? Like, the the numbers aren't aren't huge. And then there's, there's also geocaches where you've got to 
solve a riddle to mm-hmm. get the court in and things like that. those ones drive me nuts. I'm like, just put the yeah. stinking thing there. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in college, I was literally running all over town because I essentially needed to find a hundred of them and oh, wow. to, to make a hundred in the class, you know? So <laughs> eventually I like decided, I was like, okay, I just need like an 85 in this class. So I have found like 80 geocaches in that like one like it was like a six-week class it was honestly awful but so much fun like my friends still talk about it today they're like remember that time remember that place that we went it was terrifying or it was so fun or it was so weird um because it was a really fun challenge um but yeah I haven't geocached in a while I think it it was a little traumatic having to find them all (laughs) well (laughs) tell your alma mater if they want a guest speaker we'll connect them with our friend Oh, I, oh, that's so true. I will definitely do that. I wonder if they're still offering it. Uh, yeah, I love stuff like this, like random stuff like this that you would not think of ends up being so much fun. And you're right. That's like a hobby, something you can do together, you know, with other people and just figuring out hobbies and things that you can do with your spouse together. Because, you know, I mean, Terrell plays piano. There's really nothing that we can do together in him playing piano, you know, and like I weave. So there's, again, not a lot of help um, or things we can do together, but figuring, figuring out, you know, we say like at night, okay, we're going to take an hour. He's going to go play piano. I'm going to go read, or I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. And having that kind of set time where we're doing our own separate hobbies. Um, And then, you know, every weekend now we get up on Saturday mornings and we um, go find a local diner we haven't been to, and then we go on a hike, you know, and so that's a enjoyable thing for us to do food and hiking, you know, you can't go wrong with that. And so we, yeah, we've just had to figure stuff out over time of what we can do together and, Oh, just thank you guys so much for sharing your story and your wisdom. And I hope this is really helpful because like I said, this is a question I just get constantly about people mm-hmm. who want to, you know, especially in the arts, you know, they want to be creative and their person is just not getting it. You know, they don't value that time or you're, you're right. They're kind of like jealous or threatened by that time away. And then they're really judgmental. They're like, well, that's not good. You know, why would you do something you're not good at? And I just want to be like, it doesn't matter. Right. So no, it's just. I've done yoga. And if you want to talk about not being good at something. <laughs> oh, my word. I did get him to do yoga. I, I, I do it. I, I do it because, it's, A, it's good for me. I suck at it. But you know what? It was oh. something that she just said, hey, just give it a shot. So I'm like, okay, what's what do I got to lose? Right. I'm, get, I, I'm doing something that's good for me. And you know what? I look stupid. I'm not falling into anybody yet. So that's a good thing. But yeah, he's just, very entertaining. Just in go class, out, <laughs> go out and try it. And when you, I, I would honestly say most people who say I'm not going to do that, it's their ego getting involved because they don't want to look stupid. Right. Yep. And I, I can resonate with that. Like, I like to be good at things. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this too. What I talked about earlier, like I'm, I'm going to be okay with, I don't need to be the best and I don't even need to be good at it. But if it just, you know, if it's something that brings me joy, then why not? You know, I, I just, there's no, there's no reason not to just at least try something. And I've known people who have discovered incredible talents. I have an old boss who is this amazing painter. I mean, jaw droppingly amazing painter. And she didn't know it that was there, you know, it was something she decided to do after retiring from that job. And it's just incredible. And I still just look at that and go, wow, like, what if I have something like that inside me that I miss 
because I didn't even try. And I know I raised my kids to try and to just go for whatever. Why am I not doing that? I need to be a better example and not just be saying the words. I need to be loving them. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I love the 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 example of no one, if you're going to pick up running, no one's going to be like, show me how fast you can run, you know? Right. And so the same thing with creativity. There's no reason for someone to be like, show me your painting, you know, um, and then judge it. So yeah, I hope this is just giving people freedom to explore things that they're interested in and figure out ways to communicate to, you know, their important people, why it's important and why they need that time and how to um, take care of themselves in that way. So thank yeah. you guys so much for sharing. Do you, what new is coming up with you that we can be looking out for? <laughs> uh, well, we Ray, do you want to take this one. Yeah, we, uh, we actually pivoted in our life design, which was an easy pivot because it was the one thing we had said uh, would uh, that we would pivot for. So we bought a house in the Adirondacks uh, we close on June the 4th. So we'll be updating that house in, you know, making some cosmetic updates, nothing, nothing huge at this point, but we do have some longer term plans. Um, we are continuing to build our uh, life design practice, our, our coaching practice. Uh, so we're really focused on that. And honestly, Beyond that, we are just kind of holding open the op uh, of what opportunities are going to come our way. We kind of have a, adopted a phrase called follow what's unfolding. And so if Corona has taught us anything, it's that we're never really in control in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we're going to follow what's unfolding. We know we'll stay in New York till January. So two of our kids can come home for Christmas. Not that we don't like the other two. They're just not able to come home. <laughs> and uh, then we're going to go to Florida in the RV. And who knows? I mean, at that point, we'll see what happens. But we're, you know, if, if people want to connect with us, we'd love to have you as part of our community. And uh, it doesn't mean you have to be a coaching client. But if you need help, we'd love to help you through that process. Yeah. And this house, Lauren, this is why I've had to um, put aside some fear and, and face the things that I've always said I'm not good at, which is interior design and gardening. And buying this house took those two things and just shoved them right in front of my face. So I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot of uh, creativity that I hope will be unearthed and flow out of me while I try to figure all this out. So, but I'm looking forward to it. It's an 1888 old Victorian. And so, yeah, we're just, we're just jumping in. Oh, I cannot wait to see pictures of it. I'm so excited. You have to do lots of before and afters for us. Um, we will. But your sure. podcast is called the life design podcast. Your podcast is called the life design yep. podcast. Perfect. All right. Well, I will have links to everything in the show notes for you guys. So you guys can connect with Carlos and Suzanne. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to how she creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes blog and using the hashtag howshecreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something. 